0: So over the next month, we're going to be doing a lot of celebrating. We're going to be celebrating moms. We're going to be celebrating new members, confessions of faith and baptisms. Uh, Memorial Day, we'll be celebrating that, celebrating graduates. And uh, what we want to do before we do all that this morning, uh, we want to celebrate and honor the God of what the Bible calls the God of living water. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Uh, The passage from this morning, just some quick background to it, is uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Judea in the south part of Israel to Galilee, which is in the north, and they are traveling through a region called Samaria, and they stop in a town called Sychar to get something to eat, and Jesus is sitting by a well there and ends up Um, talking with a Samaritan woman. Um, Our scripture reader for this morning is Kelly Golay. And so Kelly, if you can make your way on to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. We uh, read scripture from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so Kelly, whenever you're ready, please read from the Gospel of John chapter 4, Verses 7 to 15. When a Samaritan
1: woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here
0: to draw water. Kelly, thank you very much. You may be seated. So I just want to start with something the woman says in verse 9 where she points out that she's a Samaritan and Jesus is a Jew and the gospel goes on to say that Jews... Um, don't associate with Samaritans, but it doesn't really say why. There's this history between them, and it's a history that goes back hundreds of years. You see, first of all, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds by the Jews. Um, Two of the best-known kings in Israel were David and Solomon, and they both ruled when Israel was one kingdom. But after King Solomon, Israel split into two separate kings kingdoms. And this happened like 900 years before Jesus. So when I say the history goes back hundreds of years, it goes back hundreds of years. There's the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, It's in the blue there. And just to kind of give you a little bit of of, uh, perspective here, you have the Mediterranean Sea um, on the west. And then here you have the Sea of Galilee. Jesus did a lot of his ministry there. Jordan River goes uh, north-south. And then you have the Dead Sea here. Jerusalem's right there. Um, Israel's uh, kingdom or capital, of Samaria, was right there. And so the northern kingdom of Israel is in the blue, southern kingdom of Judah, with Jerusalem as its capital, is in the yellow. And those two kingdoms didn't always get along, even though they basically came from the same place. Um, the northern kingdom eventually falls to the Assyrian Empire. So the blue kingdom on the map, they fall to the Assyrian Empire. And what the Assyrians would do with people they conquered is they would take them out of their homeland because that would mess with their identity. They wanted their identity to be shaped by uh, the Assyrian Empire, not where they came from. And so they, would t- they took many of the Israelites away from their land, out of the northern kingdom, and moved a bunch of non-Israelites from other parts of Assy- the Assyrian kingdom into the northern kingdom. And so the Samaritans were descendants of both Jews and non-Jews. And even though the Samaritans lived in Israel, they were considered half-breeds, which is a derogatory term, and that captures how the Jews viewed them. But in addition to that, the Samaritans, back in this long-running history, at one point they opposed the rebuilding of Jerusalem. About a hundred years after the northern kingdom fell, the southern kingdom would fall to the Babylonian Empire. So now uh, the kingdom in the south on the map, now that southern kingdom is now gone. But the southern kingdom Israelites would maintain their identity in exile. And eventually they were allowed to return back to their land, and the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt, the temple was rebuilt, Um, but as Jerusalem was being rebuilt, they faced opposition, the Jews did, and one of the main groups that opposed the rebuilding of Jerusalem were the Samaritans, and so this animosity between these two groups stretches back hundreds of years, and while they both claimed to worship the God who delivered them out of Egypt, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there were significant differences in their worship. The Samaritans only considered the Torah as scripture. The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, that is the Torah. And for the Samaritans, that's all that counted. If you're familiar with the other parts of the Old Testament, or if you were to read the rest of the Old Testament, you would get why the Samaritans did not like the rest of it, because it paints the Northern Kingdom in a really bad way. Um, all the kings of the Northern Kingdom are evil kings, and they get conquered, never to be heard from again. And a lot outside of the Torah, a lot of the Old Testament, there are major portions of it that were pretty much dedicated to just the Southern Kingdom. So the Samaritans rejected anything in the Bible after the first five books. And then both the Samaritans and Jews, they had different holy places of worship. They worshiped the same God in different places, which to us doesn't seem like a big deal, but they are. Holy places are places where God acted and they form your identity. It's why to this day, Jerusalem is kind of fought over by the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims, because those were places that for all three of those groups, God acted, and holy places form your identity. And so for the Jews, they worshipped in Jerusalem, and for the Samaritans, they would worship out Mount Gerizim, which was not far from their political capital of Samaria. So for hundreds of years, there was bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it was so bad that when the Jews had to travel from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, on the next map you'll see two different routes they would take. The green route was by far the shorter, easier route. And it was also the route that the Jews would almost never take. Why? Because it took you through Samaria, and you didn't want to deal with those people. And so they would take the longer, more difficult route of crossing the Jordan River, going up the east side of the Jordan River, and then crossing back over the Jordan River again. It was longer, it was harder, but then you got to avoid those terrible Samaritans. So Jesus and his disciples, for whatever reason, are traveling the shorter route, the green route, through Samaria. And Jesus sits down next to this Samaritan woman by a well, and he asks her for a drink. And she says, how can you ask me for a drink, for all the obvious reasons? And then she points out, you don't even have anything to draw water with, because Jews and Samaritans wouldn't even drink out of the same cup. But if you look in verses 10 to 15, if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 4, and you just look in verses 10 to 15, Jesus talks with her about this whole concept of living water. If you look in your Bibles, verse 10, Jesus says, If you would know who asks you for water, if you asked him, he would give you living water. And then verse 11, she asks, Well, where can you get this living water? And then Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, the water I give will become a spring of living water that wells up to eternal life. And then in verse 15, she says, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, but living water is a significant Old Testament concept idea. In the Old Testament, living water comes from a Hebrew term, that says basically, Maim Kaim, living water is Maim Kaim. If you want to know what Maim Kaim is, just look out the windows and look at the fountain, and you see that water coming out of the stones. That's Maim Kaim, living water. Living water is water that is flowing water. It's water that moves. So rivers like the Snake River, that's living water. Or springs, like the springs that come out of the canyon. That's living water. Or rain, like the nine inches of rain we get every year. Okay, that's living water. It's water that moves versus a lake or a pond or a well. Well, that's not living water because that water basically doesn't really move or flow. And living water represents life. Water that is stagnant, eventually becomes unusable. Uh, As a kid, we had relatives that had a pond on their property, and they always had it overstocked with fish. They had too many fish in this pond. But it was a great place to go fishing. And um, even though it was a great place to go fishing, the pond was really gross. Um, It had all this green gunk on the surface, and there was all sorts of vegetation that was growing out of it, and all sorts of lily pads, and just it was just... You would never swim in this pond. It was a terrible pond to even think about swimming in. And you definitely would never drink the water in this pond. The water was fine for the fish. But otherwise, it was useless water. Water that moves, though, there's life in it. If you were to go to the falls this afternoon... If you're to go there and look at the water coming over the falls, you can see the life. You can hear the life. You can even feel the life with the mist that the falls produce. In the Bible, living water represents life. Even our fountain has water moving through the stones. And when it does, it brings a sense of life to the fountain. If you Get a chance. You can go out there today after service and just stand out there and try to have a conversation right in front of the fountain. Just the noise and all the activity of the moving water makes that really difficult versus if there's no water coming out of those stones, that fountain's kind of a dead place. There isn't much going on over there. Um, But again, there's that sense of life coming out of the stones. In a couple weeks, we're going to have baptisms in that fountain. And that's a really appropriate thing because living water represents new life in Christ for us living water represents life it was a major Old Testament concept and God is the source of living water in the Old Testament the people of Israel were dependent on a certain kind of living water rain and the problem with rain is you cannot control it you don't know when it's coming you know when it's gonna stop you don't know how much you're gonna get and so for them To rely on God for rain was a never-ending struggle. And through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2, God says this about his people. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If the Israelites didn't want to rely on the rain for water, they could always and they would often build their own cisterns. And so that when it rained, they could store that water and use whenever they wanted. And that's, again, that's good conservation principles. It's not a bad idea, storing up water. But God used that as a metaphor. It wasn't just that the people didn't want to rely on God for rain. They didn't want to rely on God for anything. They wanted to live how they saw fit. And so God used this metaphor of they built their own cisterns because the people decided not to rely on God anymore, and the cisterns represented their own way of living, their own cisterns, and so they could dictate life on their terms. And so they didn't need to rely upon God for how they lived. And we do the same thing. We have our own ways of doing life. Our own cisterns. And whether it was back then or whether it's today, sooner or later, the cisterns we build in our lives eventually break. And the things that we count on for life will eventually let us down. And God said, he is the spring of living water. And Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 7, where he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so Jesus says to the woman, if you knew who asked you, you would ask him for a drink and he would have given you living water a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You know, there's another thing that's true about cisterns, both literal cisterns and metaphorical cisterns, is you know, you can tell when they don't work as well as they used to. In a literal cistern, you can it's going to eventually leak water, and you can literally watch its ability to hold water decrease. Likewise, a metaphorical cistern, a way of life, of doing life that works for us, it always will eventually have leaks, and eventually it doesn't work as well for us as it used to. But we keep coming back to it because we don't know anything else. The Samaritan woman says, Give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here. (laughs) Give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here. At some point, we don't want to keep doing what we've always done. For the woman, it was a literal well that she kept coming back to. But if you read on past where our passage for the day ended, past verse 15, and if you look at verses 16, 17, and 18, you'll see that she had another well that she kept coming back to that drove her to five husbands, and the man that she was living with at the present time was not her husband. She kept going back to the same old well of man after man after man and five husbands and one man later she was still empty. I don't judge her for that. I feel bad for her. Because whatever drove her was not giving her life. And that's true for so many of us. The things that drive us Don't give us life. What is it in your life that you don't want to keep coming back to? Something that you keep coming back to and it's not giving you life. It could be a hurt from the past that you just can't seem to move on from. Or maybe it's a current struggle that you keep finding yourself in again and again and again. Or maybe it's some future goal or dream that is looking more and more like it's just never going to materialize. Or a pleasure that you keep coming back to and now it's more of an addiction than a pleasure. Or maybe it's a drive to succeed and it doesn't really matter how much you've accomplished because there's always something more you can do. Or maybe like the woman, you look for fulfillment in some kind of relationship and it just never seems to work out or maybe it's something completely different from any of those things but we all have our cisterns we all have wells and when we find ourselves back at them Jesus comes sits down next to us and says you know if you asked me for a drink I would give you living water Jesus laid down his life to rescue us from death and evil to rescue us from the deep wells that we keep coming back to to rescue us from our cracked cisterns to give us true fulfillment to give us a new purpose And by following Jesus, we live life at a higher level. We live life as it was meant to be lived. We don't chase down our dreams. We follow Jesus to green pastures. This isn't a rat race on some fast-paced freeway. It's a journey on a narrow path. God is the source of living water. And he gives it to us through his Son, Jesus. And there's this cliche that I would assume most if not all of you have heard. That it's not about adding years to your life but it's about adding life to your years. Well the life that Jesus offers covers both. That Jesus will add life to our years now and years to our lives in eternity. And so he calls us to believe and he calls us to worship in spirit and in truth because if we were to continue reading on past the passage of the day and go to verses 19 to 24 you'll see that the conversation of jesus and the samaritan woman shifts to worship where jesus says yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You see, we worship what we value. Worship is an act of acknowledging the value of something, and we can worship almost anything. But if we're going to worship the God, the God who is the source of true life, the source of living water, while God desires for us to worship in spirit and truth. In spirit, because God desires love, not sacrifice. For both the Jews and Samaritans, worship involves some kind of animal sacrifice. And they would follow strict instructions on how the sacrifice was to be done. But God says through his prophet Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And that word mercy can also be translated love. So the strict instructions on the sacrifices, those could be followed. But if there was no love behind what they did, it didn't mean that much to God. You know, earlier in the service, we received an offering. And what was true for the sacrifices, it was also true for our offering. That what we need to do, what we do, it needs to reflect our hearts. And it's not just true for this morning. Every day, we want to acknowledge that God is the source of life. And so on Sundays, when we gather in this place, we sing, we give, and we listen to the Word of God. And quite honestly, that's the easy part. You want an easy way of acknowledging God on a regular basis, come here and sing and give and listen to the Word. That's easy. The rest of the week, we worship God with how we live. And that's a lot harder. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You worship God with how you live and how you act and how you work and how you treat one another. That's a lot harder than coming here and singing. But whether it's on Sunday or the rest of the week, to worship in spirit is to love God. Because he gives us life. And we worship in truth because Christ reveals that God is the source of life. God is the source of life. We have all kinds of images of what God is like. You know, the old man in the clouds apathetically kind of watching us. Or an angry judge waiting to punish us. Jesus came to reveal the truth about God and we worship God as Christ reveals him. Not an old man who doesn't really seem to care, not an angry God wanting to get us, but the God of living water who wants to impart life to each and every one of us through his son Jesus. As Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He wants to renew us, to refresh us, to restore us. God's plans for us are plans for good, not harm. And that doesn't mean everything's going to go our way. And so when things don't go our way, we don't try to take control back by building our own cisterns. But we continue to trust in God as revealed in his son. And that's easy to do when all is going well, and it's hard to do when our world is upside down. But worship isn't about manipulating God to get what we want. It's acknowledging who he is and what he's done for us. God is the God of living water, our source to life the one who watches our coming and going, the one who never slumbers or sleeps, the one who never leaves us or forsakes us, the one who blesses us, who has given us every good gift we have received or will ever receive, the one who laid down his life so we may have eternal life. Are you willing to honor that God, the God of living water, both right now as we sing and the whole week as we live. Let's honor the God of living water. Please pray with me. Lord, this morning we gather once again to come as a community of faith, and worship you, and I would ask that you would soften each of our hearts, whatever it is that we need to do this morning, so that in these next few moments we can um, worship you in spirit and in truth, and Lord, acknowledge you as the source of life in everything we do this week. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. So receive God's blessing May the Lord bless you and keep you and may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, amen.